Uh, we have talked about unity. What is family? What does it mean to be family as a church family? We've talked about unity. We talked about loyalty, faithfulness, trust, steadfast love, whatever you want to call it. And in this lesson, we're going to be talking about cooperation. And so I've got a way that I would like to illustrate the cooperation that I think we should see and should not see within our church family. But if you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, in just a minute I want to take a look at uh, the works of the flesh, which you might have been memorized, and in that case you don't need to look down at it. But I, I just want to show you something about the works of flesh. And, uh, so that's where your Bible will need to be open to. This is David De Silva again. We've been talking about uh, some insights into what family looked like when God said, I'm your father and you're my children, and that means your brothers and sisters with each other. What does that mean? This is one of those things. Rivalry, competition, and working against a brother or sister's advantage would be as unnatural and as dysfunctional as for one hand to break what the other hand builds or for one foot to trip up the other. Duh. I mean, family. You, I like that he used the word dysfunctional because that's kind of a family word too. A family that doesn't function is dysfunctional. And one of the ways that a family is dysfunctional, they don't work together. They don't cooperate together, operating together as a family. So let me tell you about this real quick because uh, it's likely that probably many of you will know in uh, 2018, I love, I'm not a huge sports fan. I'm a Chiefs fan, which is great right now, and a Royals fan, which is not great right now. Um, but aside from that, I'm not really like, I don't follow a lot of sports. I like March Madness. We watch basketball when the tournament comes. But up and, until then, you know, there's not a whole lot of that stuff. But we always watch the Olympics. I love the Olympics. And I'm one of those guys, like the handful of people, who even cares about the Midnight Olympics. They're the ones that come on late at night that nobody cares about, and they put them on TV because you have to have something on TV. And so that's what this is that you're looking at right now. In 2018, I discovered Team Pursuit ice skating. And it's like, if you can imagine a demolition derby on ice skates, that's the closest thing I can probably think of to It's awesome. One of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. You have two teams of three people, and they skate in this circle, and it's a short circle, you know, so it's madness. Six people all together, madness. And it's team pursuit, which means a couple of things. The clock doesn't stop until your last person makes it across the finish line. And so the, the goal is to get everybody on the team across the finish line before the other team gets everybody on the team across the finish line. And so this is where it gets fun. There's always people who are better and worse than others, and so the better ones will skate up behind the ones who are not as fast, and they'll push them and give them a boost. And then just all madness ensues after that. It's so fun to watch this, but this is what you're seeing right now. Remember in 2018, the Winter Olympics were in South Korea, and this is the South Korean team. And this sport is not a midnight sport in South Korea. This is like a primetime sport. They care a lot about this sport, so it's a really big deal. 
Um, the two girls in front that you see on that picture actually should have been on that team. Um, I think that their names are Kim and Park. I'm not sure. I might be getting one of the one in the back. But what happened in that picture is that the teammate in the back was a political choice. She really did not earn that spot on the team. And everybody knew it, especially Kim and Park, because they wanted to win. It's, they care about this sport. They've worked their whole lives for this. It's their home country. It's a really big deal. And somebody said, no, this is going to be your teammate. And so they did something that was a really bad idea. They decided to make a point on international TV uh, and lose on purpose. They took off and left her in the dust. And this was the next day. I remember I watched that race. And then the next day I saw on my news headlines, these are some of the headlines. And look at some of the names of these headlines. Reuters, Washington Post, CBS Sports. This is no joke. Like this is, it's not, um, you know, sports online or some janky internet, whatever. This is a big deal. South Koreans are furious after speed skaters hang their teammates out to dry. Or they left their slower teammate behind. Now their country's fans want them banned. That's the thing that comes from this. I'm going to read something from the Washington Post for you. That Washington Post article, this is later. Koreans were so angered by the display that a petition was started asking that Kim and Park be banned from the national team because it is a clear national disgrace that such people with a personality problem are representing a country in the Olympics. Two days later, that petition had more than a half a million signatures. What would it take for you to get 500,000 signatures on anything? They so upset their country that by the end of the week, they had more than a million signatures and they're not allowed to skate on the national team anymore. Because here's one thing that you don't do, and the South Koreans know that you don't do. You don't leave your teammate out to dry. I don't care how she got there. I don't care if she's not as good as everybody else. I don't care what the circumstances are. She is your teammate, and you don't leave her in the dust. The goal of the whole team pursuit race and the language that's going to start to determine what we're talking about here in, in this conversation, family, the church's family, and cooperating together as family is the goal of what we're doing right now is to get every single person in this room plus cross the finish line. And we're not done until that happens. And there is never any circumstance where we say, for whatever reason, you're not keeping up. Bye, loser. You know, it's all about me. I'm taking off. The goal, the, the, well, I'm not done until I get that guy across the finish line. That's when the race is over. Have you ever noticed this about the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's 15 listed. I think there's 15 plus and things like these, which that's just a huge number. But let's just stick with 15. Um, eight of the 15, so more than half, have to do with the body of God's people not cooperating together. Listen to it. Not the first ones. The first ones are 
you know, I'd call them moral things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But then look at the next eight after that. Enmity, strife, jealousy. That's what that is. That, I guess, you're looking in. Bits of anger. Can you see that? Can you see... Can you see the works of the flesh in that picture? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, the things that we're talking about right now. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then you're back to the last one, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. Eight of the 15 have to do with this. And, you know, the moral of the story is let's not do that. Let's cooperate together in order to get everybody across the finish line. So what I'd like to do this afternoon and is that right, 217? I'll keep an eye on the clock. Um, but what I want to do is just, I told you, this isn't a sermon. I, I don't like to ever think of it as a sermon. It's a conversation. Just want to talk about some examples of what cooperating together as a family looks like. And we'll see some passages on this first one. You know, I've got some stuff I want to talk about, and I'll sprinkle some Proverbs in there to keep us focused on the reality that this is what God has said all along. But I just want this to be one of those things where we say, okay, families cooperate together, but what does that look like? What does that mean for us practically to function and cooperate together as a family? And, and this is kind of a spoiler alert. I'll tell you right here on um, the front side, a lot of this conversation is uncomfortable. And not only is it uncomfortable right now, it's even more uncomfortable when you actually do the stuff that we're talking about. Well, family's hard, and sometimes it's messy. And that's what we're doing. So let's do it. Uh, family cooperation, what does it look like? The first category of things that I want to talk about is what to do and where to go. And here's where I'm talking about this. Young people especially, as they kind of spread around. There's a, there was kind of a collection over here. Young people, I see young people some places. Young people, especially, I'd like for you to watch this. I, would you pay attention to this next thing that we're about to do? Just look around, actively look around. I want you to watch this. Um, I would like for you to raise your hand for me, please. If you have been in a career for 30 years or more, if you've, if you've done the thing that you did for 30 years or more, raise your hand. So look at that. Young people, I want you to see. Here's what we're seeing right now. Would we assume that some of these folks know what they're talking about? If they've done something for 30 years, I'd kind of think maybe they have an opinion about this or that. So you who raised your hand, here's the really important question. This is the follow-up. If one of our young people said, I want to do the thing that you've done, 30, 40, whatever, however many years you've done it. I want to do the thing that you've done. If your hand was in the air, would you have something to say about, about that, that job, um, especially in this environment? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about your soul. This is the specific question that I'm asking. How many of you who raised your hands would say to one of the young people who's about to do the thing that you've spent the last several decades doing, how many of you would say, I'm worried about your soul and this might not be a great idea? 
not as many hands, but a couple. Okay, so maybe you would not say maybe not a good idea, but how many of you would say, I have something to tell you about your soul in this field? There's more hands. You see that, right? Because you've been there, right? You've been there. You've done that. You see this, young people, what, what's happening right now? That's the way that we operate in our home. It's the way that I operate in my home. You know, I got three kids and we sit around the kitchen table. And from the time that our kids are little, hey, what do you want to do? I want to grow up and I want to be this. And not one single time in that conversation through the years have I ever said, good luck, I hope it works out for you. It's your business, I don't care, you know. Best of luck uh, in, your, in your pursuit of life. No, we're a family. And so we talk about that, and hopefully there's some direction involved, and uh, you need to make sure that you're going to live somewhere where you have a spiritual family that's going to actually help you to be right with God. There's just a ton of pieces of this conversation that a family is going to have And my question always is, why wouldn't we do that on a congregational level? If there's even more experience and even more wisdom in a family like this, and you're going to do the same thing that you've done for 40 years, why wouldn't we have that conversation? And I'm not saying, you know, this has to be one of those, you should not do that. And so, okay, he said, I'm not going to do it, but it's at least worth talking about. That's what I'm talking about in this, cooperating together. This is the point of this lesson. I'm not going to watch your kid play chicken with a train and keep my mouth shut because it's not my business. We're going to be involved in each other's lives. It's not one of these things where there's a line and I say, this is my life and this is your life, you know, and here's this invisible line and we don't cross over into each other's business. No, that's kind of what family is. We're in each other's business. So here's a couple things for you. Proverbs, I'm not going to write them on the board, but you can write them down. Uh, I won't give you time to turn either. Proverbs 11:14, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. What a blessing. An abundance of guidance. What a blessing. How foolish would it be to just not do anything Proverbs 15:22 without counsel plans fail but with many advisors they succeed Proverbs 20 and verse 18 plans are established by counsel by wise guidance wage war and Proverbs 24 and verse 6 for by wise guidance you can wage war in an abundance of counselors there's victory two things for you on this one and I'll move on to the next one cooperating together what to do and where to go um not long ago there was a girl who came to us and she did not have a strong spiritual background but she came and she found some friends who really cared about her soul and she got plugged in and it was so fun to watch her thrive i mean she grew and and she was thriving and she had an issue with her job and was going to move to another city where um the most you could say about that congregation is that they were there. Um, beyond that, you know, the lights are on. And so uh, uh, one of our shepherds and I had a conversation with this girl. And here's the thing. I hear myself, right? 
I know that what you will do when you hear this is you'll say something like, I mean, that's kind of not your business. But we sat down and we had a conversation. We we're like, what are you going to do about your soul? I understand this is a promotion. I understand you're going to make more money. This is a step. What are you going to do about your soul when you move to this town? And there's not a church that's going to help you be the kind of person that the Lord wants you to be. And we both ended that conversation. We said, I don't think you should do this. And she didn't listen. And I don't have to tell you how that story ends. You already know. And it is my business. I, I know that a lot of people in our world are like, there's boundaries. This book called Boundaries. I tell people to read it all the time. But that is my business. Your soul is my business if you're my brother or my sister in the Lord. Here's another one that happens all the time. I'm going to tell you about my evolution in this, in this process. I turned my phone off in August because every August the same thing happens. There is this family, not one family, every August, a different family. There's this family who has, through the years, made plans about where their kids are going to go to school after they're done with high school. And so they've done their college visits and um, they've made a decision and they filled out all the paperwork and they registered for classes and, and mom bought all of the bedding for the room. Everything's done and the car is loaded and we're leaving tomorrow and I get the phone call. Hey, uh, we're going to this city. Do you happen to know of any churches close by? And every single year I'm like, is this a joke? How did this happen? Seriously, how did we even how did we even get to this spot where you're leaving tomorrow and the parents, you're sending your kids off into one of the most vulnerable stages of their life and nothing passed through your head at all about what we were going to do about their soul? And so I used to get really irritated at parents and you know when they get older things start to come out of your mouth and so I was getting frustrated with parents and then what happened over some time is I was, I was like this. Wait a minute. You mean all of these plans took place in all of these months and, and years and nobody in that congregation even brought it up to think about it ahead of time? Is that we're leaving for school tomorrow and oh yeah, what about my soul? And I know what you're thinking. I know what the elders here are thinking. The elders is they get, no. We did say it for the last 12 months and nobody listened, but just at least pay attention to the, uh, to the principle here. The idea is, how about, how about this? How about we work together, cooperate together as a family, and the idea is not to bully or to lord it over anybody, but for every person to get across the finish line. I want every soul in heaven together, which means that you're going to get into my business sometimes and to my kids, and I'm going to be in your business sometimes because we love each other, and we want everybody to be in heaven someday. Do this. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7 with me. Number two on the list, due to Mary. I told you it was going to be uncomfortable, and now you know it's coming. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to ask for some more hands. This part always makes me cry because I hate this conversation. 
how many of you have watched uh, somebody that you know in the church family um, and they started dating somebody and then they fell in love um, and then they got serious and then they got engaged um, and all the while leading up to the marriage you're thinking to yourself this is not a good idea how many of you have seen that raise your hand high for real look around okay you got your hands up this is not a good idea it's not going to end well you can put your hand down I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on the carpet on this one. How many of you knew it wasn't a good idea and you still didn't say anything about it? I'm raising my hand on that one because I did it. Do you want to be loved that way? Is that the way that you would like somebody to love you? To be watching your life and your trajectory and your spiritual walk and all of this and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, man, that's not going to end well, um, but good luck. Hope it works out for you. I don't need people like that in my life. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 1, God talked about this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, all the ites, Hittites, Kyrgyzites, Amorites, Gedeonites, Perizzites, Havites, Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, shall show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why? For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you. And he would destroy you quickly. So this is how you deal with them. He goes on to, Describe it. And friends, I'm glad that we have the Word of God. But if you've been alive for more than nine minutes, you didn't need the Bible to tell you that. We see it happen, unfortunately, all the time, all around us. And, and so, you know, there's two sides. There's two sides of this that I would like for you to think about. Number one, when you see somebody that you love, who's a part of your spiritual family, Driving 95 miles an hour towards the edge of a cliff. I know it's uncomfortable. I Listen, I know that nobody wants to have this conversation. I'm not asking if you want to have the conversation. I'm asking if you would want someone to do it for you if you were in the same situation. And so we say, listen, I'm sorry that this is going to be uncomfortable. I, I need to tell you I'm concerned about your soul and you know the possibility that that's going to go sideways is high but what's the alternative so number one we got to get in other people's business number two this is another thing that i'd like for you to think of um young people if you find yourself in this spot this is the piece that i just want you to to consider when somebody comes to you and says i love you and i'm concerned about your soul your first reaction should not be, you hate me and you're trying to ruin my life. <laughs> or, or, how about this? This sister has always been good to me and has always loved me and has been good at loving God's people 
And she has managed to live a faithful life, or even better, probably not even better, somewhat on the same scale, like she's made her own mistakes, and she's trying to help me not make the same mistake. How about this? What if we just listen? It's not that somebody's trying to get in my business to ruin my life. It's that somebody cares about my soul, and I say, thank God for that. That's exactly the thing that I do want. I want to tell you a couple things. Turn over to Colossians 3 and verse 16, please. I have something for you to write in your Bible if you have a pen and you do that. Colossians 3 and verse 16. And while you're turning over there, I want to tell you another example of something that happened to us. Uh, my wife's roommate was dating and then engaged to a guy who was a weasel. And everybody knew that he was a weasel except for her because she had her love goggles on. You know, the thing about, I'm in love... And that equals good decision-making is no longer a thing. Um, and so we all try to tell her. My wife is really good friends with her, loves her. I would try to get involved and say, hey, not a good idea, not a good idea. And she wouldn't listen to anybody. And uh, one day, we already knew he was a weasel. But one day, he put his hands on her and shoved her up against the wall. And I tell my daughters, if you're not in a marriage situation, I don't care what kind of apologies and conversation happens after that, it's off. No more. You put your hands on someone, it's over. Um, and so uh, I went to this girl's dad, and I said, hey, listen, I need to tell you about some stuff. And the next day she was not engaged to him anymore because dad was able to get through. That's not why I'm telling you this story. After, after that happened, this girl said, people started crawling up out of the woodwork saying to her, I'm so glad that you called off that, that wedding because I just didn't feel comfortable. comfortable. I, didn't, I didn't think it was good. He, he, he's not good for you and all of this stuff. And, and she has told us since that she got so frustrated by that and she was like, you mean you were worried about me and didn't say anything about it? You're just going to let me do it and not mention that you're concerned about my soul and my future? So listen to this. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The thing that I'd like for you to pay attention to is that word admonishing. Do you know what it means? I don't use that word in my regular daily vocabulary. And even though I've done this lesson dozens of times, I don't remember the, the definition of it. So I wrote it in the margin of my Bible. Listen to this. If you look up admonish in a dictionary, this is what it says. To advise someone concerning the dangerous consequences of some action. To warn. This thing that we're talking about right now, hey, listen, I need to advise you. I need to warn you about the consequences of the direction that you're moving in. It's not only just common sense that we should be doing because we love each other. It's commanded by God that we admonish one another and warn each other about certain things in the direction that, that people are moving in. And so uh, let's do that. Next, young moms. Look at Mark chapter 10 with me, please. I love this. I love Mark chapter 10. Probably 
ever since I saw a couple words in here that I've not paid attention to an awful lot in Mark chapter 10, I just love this passage so much. Um, so, a first-time mom is pregnant and has a baby, and you take that baby home from the hospital. And if you're anything like me, your first thought is, I can't believe they're letting me take this thing home. Margaret's back there like, amen. It doesn't really hit you. Like you go to the classes and you read the books and then you hold your very first baby and they're like, okay, you can go. And you go, and the baby sniffs and you're like, do we go to the hospital? I don't know. It happens. Like if you're a new parent, this is the sort of thing that happens all the time. And especially you're a new mom. So I got this list. Your body is in physical distress. You're exhausted all the time. You don't know what you're doing. You have zero experience in this department. Uh, my baby won't eat. Is that normal? Um, he won't wake up right now. My first baby had jaundice, and I was the opposite of what I'm saying right now. We called my mother-in-law, and uh, we said, he won't wake up. And she's like, well, you know, jiggle him. Like, we tried that. He won't wake up. And she said, take a wet rag and run it over his face. Nothing. And she goes, I'm coming over and we're going to the emergency room. I didn't know. I thought they just slept hard. I don't know what's going on with this situation, but you're a new mom and you don't know these things. And especially for um, my family, as an example of this, we don't live close to our natural family. So Mark chapter 10 and verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Here are the words to pay attention to. If I'm talking about this right now, you think you know where it's going. Who will not receive a hundredfold. Yes, when we get to when we all get to heaven. What a day because we're going to receive a hundredfold. That is not what this verse says. And you need to highlight it if you haven't seen it or if you want to make sure that you see it in verse 30. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Also persecutions. Sorry about that. But in the age to come, now we're talking about heaven, eternal life. You see that though? You, you for the sake of the gospel, do what you need to do. And sometimes that means separating from family. And Jesus says, um, when you're a part of my family, you receive now in this time, a hundred moms. So, is the uncomfortable part. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's not really that hard to understand. It's hard to do, especially if you've been bitten and you've got some bad experience by this whole thing. But here's the uncomfortable part. You're a lady who's been there and done that a couple times. And you have something to say. And you see a young mom who looks like she might need some help. Get in her basement. 
Now, there's a right way to do it. And you ladies probably know the right way, probably far better than I do know the right way. But the right thing to do in that situation is not, if she needs anything, she'll let me know. Oh, she might not know that she needs anything. And you know what she needs because you've done it a couple times already. And so now in this time when we're a part of God's family, we gain a hundred different moms. That's all this lesson is. I got a couple more things I want to tell you about. Titus chapter 2 in verses 3 and 4. Would you turn over there and look at that with me since we're talking about the the young moms and the older ladies right now? Titus chapter 2 in verses 3 and 4. Older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands. Uh, Stop, pause. Older ladies, I'm talking to you right now. This is what God told us to do. Teach the older ladies to teach the younger ladies. Older ladies, I'm asking you, please would you teach the younger ladies how to love their husbands? That's a giant conversation. But it's a conversation and that, that I don't know how this works in your con- con- congregation. I'm sure, you know, if, if somebody has issues, you've got shepherds. I've met a couple of them and they're great men. I imagine you get a lot of this from people too. Uh, we've been married for about a year and it's not been a great year. Because we're, we don't know, they don't ever say this. They don't know what the, is wrong, but they don't, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to get along uh, and make this marriage thing work. Happens all the time. I would say more often than not, by the end of the first year, we need some help. Um, and one of the problems that keeps popping up over and over again is that our young ladies don't know how to love their husbands. This is going to be a kid-friendly conversation, so we're just going to stop there. Somebody's got to tell them that. And often mom's not going to do it. So who's going to step up and teach our young ladies? Like you get married and uh, now we're head off into the honeymoon. And, and, and it's so nice because we're married and we love each other. And, and then these young ladies, about six minutes into marriage, they, what is this thing? What have I done? Um, with with this man, it's like something that I've never even seen before. And it's your job, older ladies, to teach them that stuff. And it's not just that. The older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled. Have you ever seen a younger lady who needs to be taught by an older lady to be in control of herself, to be pure. Um, I just like those clothes because they're cute. And the older ladies say, well, I know something that you don't know. They're a whole lot more than cute. And the boys know it too. And so the older ladies teach the younger ladies these things. You're going to make so much more ground whenever you love someone and you go to them and you say, I have something to share with you. Then anybody's going to make standing up here telling people about modesty rules from the Bible. You're going to explain things to people, to be working at home, how to be a productive member of your household, 
to be kind, to be submissive to their husbands. And I like there's even, there's even a why listed in this text, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Older ladies teach the younger ladies how to act so they don't go out into the world and make us all look like doofuses. And this is just one aspect of family. Like we could do this all day long to talk about how we cooperate together and work together. As it turns out, I am my brother's keeper. Back in Mark chapter 10 and verse 30, I'm sorry, I should have told you to stick your finger there and to remember this one. Mark chapter 10 and verse 30, one of the things that we gain now in this time is kids. It's listed right here in the text. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers. Um, and so uh, one of the things that um, says in children and children and lands, one of the things I love uh, back home at our congregation, there's this man named Bob Kyle. And Bob and Sandy have three kids, and they've all moved away, and they live in, in other places. But every single time Bob stands up to pray in front of the congregation, every single time, without fail, he bows, and we all pray together, and he prays for our kids. Bob prays for our kids. And it always catches my attention because I think, wait a second, our kids, your kids are gone. No. These are our kids. And our job is to get our kids cross that finish line. And we're not done until we do. Look at Deuteronomy 21. Um, I, I really like this passage. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, you're going to think I'm going a certain direction, but I'm not. As we read this together, Deuteronomy 21, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Don't jump to any conclusions until we're done reading this, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 21, starting in verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they excuse me, shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So, I've read that passage, I can't even tell you how many times. Um, just reading my Bible, thinking about uh, being a parent, some principles about how to raise my kids and all this stuff. Until one day, something happened that made me think about this passage. There have been three times with my son Luke. Luke's 18. Pray for me. We're about to send our first kid out of the state to go to school. And I thought my whole life, you know, okay, I'll be ready for it, no big deal. But even as I talk about it, there's a pit in my stomach. It's like, uh, I didn't think it would be this hard. But that's been pretty much like the story of my parenting. I had all the answers until I was a parent. And then I figured out, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. 
And so there have been three times where I've been really nervous about my son. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade for him was a spiritual and behavioral downward spiral disaster. It was worse and worse and worse through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And at the end of eighth grade, I was desperate. I'm not being funny. Like, I didn't know what to do. And so I reached out to a handful of people in our congregation. And I, I, this was a, this one of those we cry together conversations. And I said, I need help. I don't know what to do with this kid. And it worked out. I won't leave you in suspense after that one. But there's a couple, you know, there's a couple times, two other times. None as bad as the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. But there's been a couple other times where, where I, I've just been like, I give up. I don't know. It's like, I don't know how to, what I'm supposed to do right now. And so Deuteronomy 21, you grab your kid and you take him to the elders of the city because you're like, I'm done with this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation right now. And what I see in this text, take him to the elders of the city. I see God's wisdom because how many times do you imagine throughout history, the elders of the city looked at those parents and said, why don't we not start throwing rocks just yet? How about we try this first? Um, or one of the elders of the city says something like, you know what? Same thing with my son. And this is what we did. How about we try and work through it with your kid? If that doesn't work, then we'll stone him. Fine. But, you know, the elders know something because they've been there and they've done that. That's why they're elders. And so what you see from this, raising our kids together, even in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 21, no one person has total control over the life of any other one person. You take them to the elders of the city and we all work through this together. You talk about our kids. I'm not talking about what the government's been saying. They're not our government's kids. They are our kids. We care about their souls and we're going to get them across that finish line. Okay, I know that these are a lot of examples. And so let me just do one more thing with you and then I'll stop after that. Working through disagreements together. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 18 with me, if you will. You can see that starting in verse 15. There are a handful of places in the New Testament where either a scenario is presented where problems pop up among two people or a group of people. It's family and family's messy. And this is just one of those things that's going to happen. And so we have some instruction about what to do when it does. And so you've got a problem. You've got two people who have a problem with one another. And what are we going to do about this thing? And the scriptural example is, hey, is there anybody there who can help you navigate these rough waters? And so Matthew 18, if you have uh, a sin problem with your brother, you go to that person in private. But if that doesn't work out, you know what Matthew 18 is not? Grab a couple people who will be on your team and let's go gang up on them. That's not what's going on there. This is a family. The family is, hey, we're going to come to you and we're going to try and work this out. And if that doesn't work, it says take it to the church. And that doesn't mean, hey, church, we're going to blast this person. That is, I tried, we tried, now let's all try because we got to get this person across that finish line. And so you see, helping people, people helping people. There's another one in 1 Corinthians 6. 
I won't turn over there and read this, but there were some Christians who were making lawsuits against other Christians in Corinth. And so Paul says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? You know what that implies? Sometimes we're going to need to help each other. There's another one in Philippians 4 and verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodi and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. So two ladies are having a difficult time getting along. And then he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Sometimes we need help. So, I said I was going to be done, but I want to say one more thing. Just by way of practical application in this last part. How do you do this in your house? That would be the next conversation. How, uh, where to go, what to do, who to marry, all of these things. Young moms who need some advice. The older ladies teaching the younger ladies. Here's a neat story that happened one time. I was at Nashua in Kansas City doing this lesson, and one of the elders called me after I got home, and he said, after that lesson, we looked around, and all of our ladies were gone, and we were like, what's going on? And they went down to the basement immediately after this lesson, and the ladies sat around a table, and they said, how are we going to help our young ladies? Let's go. Like your thing. Let's make a circle. Let's do this right now. How are we going to do this? And it's such a cool thing, so we talk about it. Practically, how do we do it? There's no specific picture in the Bible that I know of that walks us through the step-by-step of what this looks like. But in my house, we have family meetings. Anybody can call a family meeting at any time. The little one does it the most. Olivia, she's 12. Family meeting! Kitchen table. We have to discuss this family thing, and that's what we do. So here's what you do. You're thinking about getting married to someone. I'm, I'm considering proposing to this person that I'm in love with right now. Call a family meeting with some of the people who have been there and done that and love you. And it works really well if you feed them dinner and you sit around a table and talk about it. And just hint. But other people ask, hey, listen, I'm thinking about pursuing this course of I want to go to school here. This is what I want to do with my life or, or whatever the conversation. Call a family meeting. I'd like to hear what you have to say. I bet you'd be willing to share it, wouldn't you? Whatever you have to do, let's work together. Let's cooperate together to get every single last person across the finish line. That's the goal. If you're here today and you think the same thing that I always think right about now as we consider what it means to be a part of God's family, that's awesome and I want that. I don't have the reaction where I think I don't want people in my business. I think, wow, there's something there. You can see the blessings of God in the family that he's given us. And if you are able to see the goodness and the glory of the Lord and his plan and the family that he's given us, and you're ready to come to him through Jesus, or you want to talk more about that now, come forward, make your needs known as we sing the invitation song. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.